Donald Trump flew from his New Jersey golf club to Washington, D.C. on Thursday afternoon for his arraignment at the E. Barrett Prettyman Federal Courthouse. A crowd gathered outside with supporters and protesters often yelling over each other. Then, just minutes before his motorcade arrived, Trump appeared before a magistrate and pleaded not guilty to four felony charges related to his attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election. This is the same courthouse where more than a thousand of his supporters have been charged for their role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. It is now Trump himself facing charges related to his actions that day and in the days leading up to January 6th. Here's special counsel Jack Smith laying out those charges this week. Conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. How will the former president defend himself from those charges? NPR put the question to John Lauro, one of Trump's attorneys for this case. He described his client's defense strategy this way. It's a very straightforward defense that he had every right to advocate for a position that that he believed in and his supporters believed in. Laura said that even if the prosecution proves that Trump knowingly lied or that he had corrupt intent, which Laura does not believe they will, that it's still free speech that should be protected by the First Amendment. Political speech covers even information that turns out not to be true. So it's all protected by free speech, but at, a, at the bottom, the government will never be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, as I said, that President Trump did not believe in the righteousness of his cause. Consider this. How would a free speech defense for Donald Trump hold up in court? And how might his trial on these charges unfold? That's just ahead. From NPR, I'm Mary Louise Kelly. It is Thursday, August 3rd. It's Consider This from NPR. Even before the 2020 election results, Donald Trump was already insinuating that the vote would not be fair. The only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. Remember that. After Joe Biden won, Trump continued to cast doubt on the outcome, claiming without any evidence that the election was stolen from him. We're getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. This is a major fraud in our nation. Many of Trump's supporters got behind this rhetoric. Thousands of them turned up on January 6th for a Stop the Steal rally in Washington, and then stormed the U.S. Capitol in an attempt to stop Congress from certifying Joe Biden's victory. All this is at the heart of the decision to indict former President Trump on four criminal counts, including conspiring to defraud the United States and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. Now, as we heard earlier, Trump has pleaded not guilty, and his attorney, John Lauro, told NPR that Trump plans to invoke the right to freedom of speech as part of his defense. How will that defense hold up? 
Chara Torres Spellacy is well versed in First Amendment law. She teaches at Stetson University's College of Law in Florida, and she explained to my colleague Elsa Chang how this defense might or might not work. Okay, so just to pick up with Trump's lawyer there, John Loro, he's been arguing that this third indictment against the former president is an attack on free speech. And he told Sasha Pfeiffer yesterday this. This is the first time in the history of the United States where a sitting administration is criminalizing speech against a prior administration. Okay. Is that a fair characterization? On its face, does this indictment essentially allege that Trump's words alone constitute a crime? No. uh, Trump is being prosecuted for his deeds, not his words. And the special counsel even says in the new indictment that the defendant had the right to say what he wanted to say about the election. What he didn't have a right to do is try to overthrow the results of that election. Okay, so let me just be more specific. To what extent does the First Amendment allow people to state falsehoods? So the Supreme Court has been very lenient with liars. And the case that comes to mind is one called Alvarez. The Supreme Court said that Mr. Alvarez was able to lie about having a military record that he simply did not have. He had a First Amendment right to such lying. What about when a defendant is knowingly committing fraud? There is a more recent case called Hansen that was just handed down by the Supreme Court in this year. The court was really clear that the First Amendment doesn't shield fraud. And in the Hansen case, it had to do with defrauding immigrants. Hansen lied to them. He earned millions of dollars lying to them. And when he was prosecuted, he argued, no, 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 it's the First Amendment. I can say what I want to these immigrants. And the Supreme Court shut that down Mm -hmm. and said, no, when you are defrauding another person, when you're making money off of such lies, you don't get to use the First Amendment as a shield. Okay, so then how important is it for the prosecution to prove that Trump knew he actually lost the election, yet proceeded to lie about it and get others to cooperate or conspire with him to try to overturn the election results? It is more damning if Trump is doing this with the knowledge that he lost the election. But when he decides to pressure the Secretary of State of Georgia, for example, to do something illegal on his behalf. Mm -hmm. That is the intent that matters. He doesn't have the authority under our U.S. Constitution to tell a state official to do anything. There is no power from the president of the United States that flows to a state official like the Secretary of State of Georgia where he can ask that person to manufacture votes. Right. You don't have a First Amendment right to encourage or solicit others to engage in unlawful behavior. Yes. And President Trump simply did not have the legal authority to do what he is accused of doing. And he thus violated federal criminal law. That was First Amendment law expert Chara Torres-Spellacy speaking with Elsa Chang. 
when Donald Trump's case goes to trial, the judge who will preside is Tanya Chutkin. She's the U.S. District Judge randomly assigned to this case. And to learn more about her, we called Neil Cutyal. He's the former acting Solicitor General of the United States and has argued cases before her, as well as cases before the Supreme Court. My colleague, Sasha Pfeiffer, spoke with Cutyal. I want to read you a quote from this judge. She wrote, quote, Presidents are not kings, and a plaintiff is not president. End of quote. That's from when she ruled against former President Trump in 2021. And that ruling allowed the House January 6th Select Committee to access his White House internal files. Do you read anything into that quote and how it might affect her viewpoint in this case? I don't. I mean, that is the most mainstream of decisions that any judge would accept. Indeed, that decision was accepted eight to one by the United States Supreme Court, which obviously has a bunch of appointees from Donald Trump. And yet it was resoundingly rejected, including by all three of the nominees that Donald Trump put on the Supreme Court. So I don't read anything into that except that Judge Shutkin's going to approach the issues uh, straight up. She has an enormous, enormous reputation in Washington, D.C. among lawyers, whether you're a Republican lawyer or a Democratic lawyer, whether you're a prosecutor or a defense attorney. She's easily one of the most respected judges in this city. Judge Chutkin is also one of the federal judges presiding over the trials of suspected January 6th attackers. The Associated Press reports that each of the 38 sentences she's handed down involved jail time, and she's considered a relatively harsh sentence, or at least compared to her peers handling these cases. Does that tell you anything relevant to this case? No, again, I don't think so. I think almost all of these January 6th defendants are being sentenced in accordance with the government's requests, um, both in her courtroom and other courtrooms in Washington, D.C. And I don't think we can draw too much from the few instances in which she has rejected the government's request and gone upward and sentenced someone to a higher amount. Her sentencing decisions are understood to be well within the mainstream of what's going on in the D.C. courthouse. And if anything, I would say she has a reputation for being a little bit of a defendant-friendly judge. I think it probably comes from the fact that she was herself a public defender, a defense attorney for many, many years before she joined the bench. And so she's someone who I think comes to the bench with a real hearty appreciation for the rights of criminal defendants. And, you know, I think that should give Donald Trump, you know, some comfort. This is not a judge who's like known to be on one side or the other of issues, but someone who takes the issues that are before her and treats them fairly. Although generally she's considered to have a liberal background and she was appointed to the federal bench by President Obama. And as a result, some of Trump's supporters are are already attacking her in the court of public opinion. Although I understand, and you've indicated this, that you see her selection as something of a somewhat beneficial for the defense. How is that? In what way? First of all, I can't. I think it's so dangerous uh, to think about a judge just because of the president who appointed them and do what Donald Trump has called them Obama judges or things like that, which he did, you know, many times. When you put on that black robe, you cease to be a political actor, many of them, many judges, of course, weren't even political actors, but even former politicians. We have them on the bench and, you know, we understand that they reach fair results 
So that's, I think, the first thing I'd say. The second is, I think it's a real mistake to think about liberal versus conservative, and liberal meaning, oh, that's bad for Donald Trump. You know, it's mostly liberal judges who are very pro-criminal defendants and defendants' rights. And Donald Trump is, of course, a criminal defendant here. So I think it's just the wrong matrix to think about it. The right way to think about it is, is this a judge who's meticulous in her work? Is it someone who listens fairly to both sides and reaches an appropriate determination? And so far, I've heard not one example, not one in all her years on the bench in which she's accused of doing anything else but being that fair, impartial, hardworking, smart judge that I think her reputation uh, describes her as. That was former Acting Solicitor General of the United States, Neil Cutyall, speaking with my colleague, Sasha Pfeiffer. And for more on how former President Trump's legal troubles will impact the 2024 presidential race, you can listen to today's NPR Politics podcast. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Mary Louise Kelly.